This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. Canada's telecom regulator ordered two of the biggest network operators to allow smaller rivals to sell service using their networks at prescribed rates all within six months. In response, the largest, BCE, parent company of this network, said it would slash its planned spending on network build-out by a billion dollars. Maybe that's an unintended consequence, maybe it's sour grapes, but will consumers ultimately benefit? For many years, Canadian consumers have lamented the state of competition for internet broadband services, pointing to concerns regarding price and lack of choice. Earlier this month, the CRTC seemed to agree, stating in a decision involving competitive access, quote, in recent years, the commission has noted declining competitive intensity in this industry. The number of Canadians who buy internet services from independent wholesale-based competitors has fallen by 40% even as the overall number of internet subscribers in Canada has increased. In addition, a significant number of wholesale-based competitors have been bought by incumbent companies. When competitors exit the market, Canadian consumers are left with fewer options. It is therefore important that the Commission revise its approach to promote competition and protect the interests of Canadians. Andy Kaplan-Murth is Vice President, Regulatory and Carrier Affairs at TechSavvy one of the few remaining independent competitors. He joins me on the podcast to discuss the current state of competition, the recent CRTC decision, and what all of this might mean for the Canadian market. Andy, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm glad you came back. You were one of the very first guests when when all of this started several years ago. It's really nice to have you back. And we are, I think, talking about roughly the same issue, but several years later, as as we'll get into the weeds a little bit on an issue that has a tendency to get complicated and certainly feel technical to a lot of people, but at the same time goes to the heart of internet services, competition, and investment in Canada. Now, we've, we've started to see a lot of attention just over the last number of weeks, with the CRTC directing the large incumbent telephone companies, particularly Bell, which has certainly attracted the lion's share of attention, to provide workable wholesale access to their fiber networks, their FTTP networks in Ontario and Quebec, within the next six months. At the same time, some may know that there is a, a whole nother process that effectively involves the cable side, FTTN. Can you, in in layman's terms, unpack a little bit these processes and, and explain what, what's brought us to this point? Yeah, well... Um... You know, thanks for having me back. It feels like um, the same issue that we talked about back then. And in a way, it's sort of deja vu. Um, the, the, the problem goes back almost a decade where competitors like Tech Savvy, who, you know, lease the last mile access from these large incumbents, uh, in order to provide competitive alternatives. Uh, we have not had access to fiber to the prem networks and services. And almost a decade ago, we started asking the CRTC for that and they opened a consultation. So part of this process still comes from unresolved regulatory processes dating back to 2014 and 2015. Some of it goes back to um, wholesale rates, which have really never been properly set, but 
which the CRTC sort of started in earnest to try to correct in 2016. Those are the rates that companies like TechSavvy pay to on a wholesale basis to access these networks. Um, and there was a sense that they were very inflated all the way back to before 2016. And if you know you you remember some of your listeners may remember that those rates have flip-flopped back and forth in 2019 and 2021. Um, and when they were finally resolved in 2021, they're still, they were set back to virtually the original rates. So very, very inflated. Some of that is actually still under appeal. So sort of just this unresolved process to try to set wholesale rates. And then the third kind of prong here is a new consultation process that was just launched earlier this year in March. Um, that's aimed at correcting all of that. Um, the CRTC is trying, is reviewing the wholesale rates, um, both for FTTN and also for FTTP, which isn't just the phone companies, it's, it would also be FTTP on the cable companies to the extent they do that. Why don't we take a one step back and, and explain the, the tech-savvy business model. And when you talk about access to the prem, and you talk about the premises, can you explain a little yeah. bit how this whole how this entire wholesale system functions? I mean, someone who's new to this would, I think, sort of be listening in and saying, you're talking about years and years of regulation. What exactly is this regulation trying to achieve? How does tech-savvy and, and similar companies function in this market? Yeah, the regulation is aimed at creating a degree of competition uh, in an industry where we don't want just more wires to be built. We don't need more wires and fiber running into our homes. So, you know, the your home has electricity, cable, and a phone company, and the phone company may have uh, changed or upgraded the copper line to fiber at this point. But, you know, if you want competitive alternatives for the services that run over those, you don't need more wires. We don't need more um, duplicative investment to just recreate those networks. Uh, and the way we've created a degree of competition in Canada without requiring more companies to build more wires is we've carved out a wholesale model. So companies like Tech Savvy, and uh, there used to be many, many companies like this. There are far fewer today, which we'll talk about. Um, but companies like Tech Savvy can buy access to those wires from dominant incumbents. So the seven or eight or nine or so, I um, largest incumbent telephone and cable companies in Canada. Um, and that allows us to deliver our own internet services to end users in those homes. So we, what we're buying is access to the last mile of network that is really uh, would be inefficient for us to duplicate and rebuild. And uh, we're paying for a kind of interconnection point where we bring our own network to that point. We plug into them and we pick up the traffic. And then we manage that traffic ourselves when it comes to um, 
caching and peering with other services and um, and all, all of the kinds of things that that internet service providers do. The large incumbents always call us resellers, uh, but we don't resell their service when you get tech savvy internet service. Um, we're buying access to their wires, but we're delivering our own internet service over those. And I should say we're focusing here on internet, but a company like, well, tech savvy provides phone service as well. Um, competitive phone service is much more familiar, I think, to everybody. You don't only get your phone service from Bell, like you would have at some point now. Lots of companies are phone companies, including traditional cable companies uh, and competitors like Tech Savvy. And uh, we also provide a, a television service. Okay. That highlights a range of the competitive offerings. Can I ask you, how do you see the state of competition for internet services in, in Canada right now? I've certainly seen some who have been trying to make the case that things are getting better, particularly on the pricing side. Uh, how do you view it, both in terms of how a consumer might see it from a pricing perspective, but then also in terms of the the, the number of competitors that exist in the marketplace? Yeah. Um, in terms of the pricing, uh, there there's some evidence that pricing has been stable or has decreased slightly. Um, but our view is that it is, well, it, it is higher than international um, compar comparison markets. Um, so internet services are still much more expensive in Canada. Um, but also when you look at the decrease, any decrease in prices in Canada, um, Prices decrease in international markets too. Um, the technology gets more efficient and the facilities, um, the cost of the facilities goes down. And so we actually also see that where it has gone down in Canada, that doesn't even actually represent a real price decrease. I think Canadians are frustrated by the cost of internet service in Canada, um, but also they are frustrated by the lack of competitive options. And and they will be more frustrated by that because um, there are far fewer options today than there were even a year ago. And, you know, that there there is an importance just to having competitive options. Certainly speaking to our customers, um, you know, people don't like uh, some of the large companies just uh, have had bad experiences with them um, or don't trust them and want to give their business to another company. And without a model like this, they would not have the choice of doing that. So, so it's interesting that the certainly much of the discussion around the potential for price declines actually needs to be looked at. It sounds like in a bit more broader context and the, the state of affairs isn't quite as rosy as some would like to suggest. Now, the CRTC had earlier seemed somewhat reticent to move in the direction that you just described with moving quite rapidly to come up with the decision that it just did. You know, what do you, what do you think has changed? Obviously a chair has changed, but you know, is it, is it as simple as that or is it, do you think more broad concerns about what is in fact taking place from a competitive perspective in the marketplace? Yeah, I mean, I'm speculating, but I think it's a combination of factors. Um, 
the previous chair, actually this predates even the previous chair, the CRTC had in 2015 uh, introduced this whole plan for how competitors would get access to fiber to the prem. Um, and, you know, it was, it was called a disaggregated model. So this was sort of a new idea for how, how uh, competitors like Tech Savvy would get access to FTTP services. And that model has been a complete failure. Uh, but I think the CRTC was not prepared to give up on it. And a lot of the focus, although it doesn't seem like there was any progress on the work, but um, until even very recently, the CRTC would point to that model as, you know, still being in development and uh, we had access to fiber through this disaggregated model. So, um, and it basically had just ground to a halt. In fact, under the previous chair, Ian Scott, um, that model did not develop at all. It didn't change at all from the time when he came to the CRTC to the time that he left. Um, I think that the you know, obvious failure of that model to even be finalized, to even develop, along with a growing list of competitors who have uh, been acquired by large incumbents. That made it really clear, I think, to the CRTC, and I think actually also to uh, to the government that something needed to change, and having a new having a new chair and some new commissioners, vice chairs. Um, I think pro presented an opportunity, I guess, for them to try something different. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's interesting to see that shift most recently. You mentioned how, how much things have changed over the last little bit. Can you talk a little bit about the, just the enormous amount of consolidation that we have seen in the independent ISP sector in Canada, which I think left some with the sense that this is in fact had failed. You know, you talked about five years of no real change and it sounds like you know, with five years of no real change, surely that plays into the disappearance of many of the competitors in the marketplace. Yeah, no question about it. Um, one of the challenges in this regulatory space is that there's always another step kind of just over the horizon. So competitors have really spent nearly the last decade really looking at, oh, this next consultation or a consultation is underway, we're expecting a decision sometime in the next year. And it, for a long time, has just been a question of how long can these companies hold out? Um, in 2019, we got a decision from the CRTC that would have substantially lowered wholesale access and, um, well, mostly access rates. Uh, as well as compensating us for overpaying incumbents for several years. Um, and that would have that would have, you know, been a huge help. It would have totally transformed um, the competitive industry. I, I guess I don't want to misspeak. I'm not sure it would have transformed the industry, but it would have it would look very different today if that decision had remained in place. It didn't remain in place. The incumbents appealed it, and um, the CRTC itself overturned that decision and essentially threw out the whole process, closed the process in spring of 2021. So at that point, things felt pretty bleak. We've appealed the 
CRTC overturning that decision. We appealed that. Um, and we're actually still waiting for a decision in that appeal. Um, but in that time, a long list of competitors have decided to um, sell themselves to large incumbents. So uh, Distributel, which was the largest of those, um, and probably the second largest, second only to tech savvy uh, competitor in Canada, sold itself to Bell. Ebox, which was the largest, I believe the largest competitor in Quebec, um, sold itself to Bell as well. Oh, I hope I don't misspeak about any of these. Start.ca was a uh, you know, signif very significant um, competitor based in London, Ontario, uh, that had actually built some of its own fiber as well, sold itself to TELUS. Oxio was a new startup that was still very small, but had gained a lot of uh, you know, attention and had done a lot of work advocating for the competitive industry. Oxio sold uh, itself to Kojiko. And, you know, the list goes on. Even last week, we learned that Comwave had sold itself to Rogers. Uh, V-Media sold itself to Quebecor. So uh, it doesn't leave very many companies left in this space. And to be honest, I think other than tech savvy, um, most consumers would be pretty hard pressed to think of a real competitor. It, in fact, in the wake of all of those acquisitions, one of the challenges now is uh, that their brand names have kind of blended into this whole space where of flanker brands, where large incumbents um, market services under lots of different brand names and don't make it clear that they're all actually, you know, the same few companies. That's been true in mobile services for a very long time. Uh, it was starting to be true for internet service as well, but now it's even more true because all of these known competitor brands with a long history of fighting these big guys, now actually um, virtually all of them don't even exist anymore as anything other than brand names of uh, of the big guys. Wow. I mean, that, that's... It's an amazing story of consolidation and really a lost sector, uh, almost with with many people not paying any sort of attention at all. It's incredible to see how much has changed just in the last uh, year or two. Yeah. Now, what, that, that, all of this, I think, is really helpful background for understanding what brings us to this most recent decision. Can you uh, talk a little bit, actually, a bit more about what exactly the CRTC uh, decided and, you know, first... I guess let's take a let's talk a little bit about how tech savvy tech savvy reacted, and then we can shift sure. to the reaction from Bell. Sure, uh, this latest decision comes right out of the consultation that the CRTC launched in March of this year. It uh, that consultation is an effort to um, repair the damage of the past you know, seven, eight, nine years and uh, correct the wholesale rates and also find a way to give competitors access to fiber to the home services. Uh, it's a very ambitious consultation and the CRTC has uh, set themselves some pretty ambitious timelines too. 
uh, and has said that they want to do this quickly. In fact, part of the government's guidance, new guidance to the CRTC is to do these kinds of processes more quickly. So part of uh, one of the things the CRTC signaled when they launched the consultation was um, that, you know, since these processes can take some time to play out um, and there wouldn't be a decision on, on how competitors would get access to fiber. In the meantime, they were considering an, an interim measure, what they're calling temporary access to fiber. Um, so it's sort of a, I mean, it's just that it's an, it's a quick interim measure to give competitors access to fiber services, fiber facilities, while the larger process all plays out. Um, it's a, it's an unusual, it's, it's unusual as a sort of temporary remedy, but it isn't unusual for the CRTC to do a, to have an interim decision to um, put some measures in place while the rest of a process plays out before they get to a final decision. So that's, you know, they had, they had signaled that in March when they launched this consultation. And now in November, they uh, made a decision on that temporary access to fiber. While the rest of that consultation continues to play out, there's going to be a hearing in February and then uh, perhaps a more process, maybe a decision at some point after that. So, um, so that temporary access to fiber, it, it is a, uh, the decision says that Bell and TELUS it's only limited to Bell and TELUS, in Ontario and Quebec only, have to give competitors like us um, access to their fiber services by within six months. So I, I think it's the beginning of May. Um, and they have to do it in a way that is sort of you know, without, as a way of just avoiding going into the complicated details of it, they have to do it kind of the easier way to interconnect with their networks. The CRTC in 2015 tried to do this more complicated model, had some benefits, Tech Savvy actually supported it um, at the time, but that failed. Now in an effort to just sort of try to save the industry, I think the CRTC is um, making it the kind of easier interconnection model so that in theory we could plug into their networks and get access to Bell's and TELUS's entire fiber footprints in Ontario and Quebec. Okay. Interesting to see how all of that has evolved and obviously potentially helpful, certainly uh, on your end. Now, unsurprisingly, I haven't seen really anything from TELUS and you can correct me. If, based on on your knowledge about what they may have said, but it's certainly Bell that's been the most vocal, first threatening to cut back on their capital investment in response to the decision, and then uh, launching a legal challenge. Uh, you know, I guess first, what what do you what what do you make of of the response, both in terms of reducing network investment, which which often seems to me to be so pretty common threat that we often see when yeah. when there are proposed regulatory changes. Is this just kind of that that typical playbook or is there something more here? I think part of it's definitely that typical playbook. Um, Bell appeals every decision like this that um, uh, that affects them. Uh, we've seen that happen, you know, m multiple times in this set of related proceedings. 
uh, over the years. So, you know, it's it's no surprise. I think that that's just their strategy. Uh, part of that is, um, you know, cynically speaking, I think part of that is just running out the clock. Like, um, by delaying the implementation of any real access to fiber or correction of wholesale rates, they, um, you know, uh, they, they, they hold over these inflated rates. They have given themselves a regulatory holiday from having to give anybody access to their fiber. And, um, you know, the status quo just, just is to their benefit. And, uh, that's, that is a large part of what's been responsible for the collapse in this industry over the over the last couple of years. Um, so part of it's definitely that. Um, you know, they they've they've made their arguments, and and we're going to um, we're going to make our own arguments in, in response. They're appealing the CRTC's decision, uh, this temporary fiber access decision. That their paperwork for that hasn't actually been filed. They filed a notice of appeal, so we have a sense of what their arguments are, but we haven't actually seen um, all of their arguments or their evidence. So I probably can't speak um, a lot to that. But more urgently, they filed a motion for a stay, which would which would suspend the CRTC's decision so that it wouldn't go into effect. And um, that gives them time to do their appeal, you know, because of the urgency in the industry and because of the timelines that the CRTC is trying to um, trying to implement to fix things, a stay is kind of the whole ballgame here. If they get a stay, then we're just not going to get access to fiber on any kind of timeline that makes sense. And that does what the CRTC is trying to do. So that's where our focus is right now. You you mentioned TELUS, and um, it's true that this mandate, this decision, also applies to TELUS, but only in Ontario and Quebec. And TELUS's fiber footprint in Ontario and Quebec is is relatively small, certainly compared to Bell. Um, I don't know if they're going to join the appeal. They they are named as a respondent, so they could support Bell in the appeal. Uh, I haven't I haven't heard. Interesting. You know, has the government had anything to say about these developments? And in particular, I'm thinking back to the change in policy direction that the government issued. Did, did that play a role in the decision from the CRTC? The policy direction does play a role. Um, the uh, part of the policy direction is to um, maintain wholesale uh, based competition it talks about ranges of speeds that have to be available on a competitive basis. Um, it talks about implementing decisions more, you know, in a more timely way. Um, and the CRTC re refers to that policy direction um, in the decision. Bell is challenging aspects of the policy direction in their appeal. They've signaled that that they're going to. It doesn't play a role in this in their motion for a stay. Um, but it will on the appeal. I don't know that the government has made any public statements about it, um, but they could participate in the appeal. They could respond and defend the policy direction if it is, um, you know, if it's being challenged. Uh, the CRTC 
I think in theory could also participate in the appeal and defend their decision. Uh, but from what I understand, they generally do not do that. And we haven't seen them do that um, in any of the appeals going back uh, five years now. Okay. So it, it will fall to, to you and others who are interested to to participate if, if there's a decision to do so. That's right. And actually, it's an interesting point because now that there are fewer and fewer of us, um, you know, competitors, it is um, actually harder and harder to mount a um, very strong defense uh, or more of it falls on, you know, a smaller number of parties. And it is not... Uh, you know, it's not an inexpensive uh, exercise to respond to um, Bell in the Federal Court of Appeal. So uh, it used to be that there was a, well, there, there, um, there is an association that represents competitors called CNOC, um, but many of CNOC's members have been acquired by these large incumbents over the past couple of years. The burden to respond to Bell here falls on competitors who are interested in taking up the CRTC on this decision, and that is clearly tech-savvy, uh, also a smaller number of competitors than there used to be, much smaller, and a smaller association that represents them. There may also be other incumbents who are interested in it um, for their own reasons, they could also get access to, they could use this regime to get access to um, Bell's fiber. So they may also, um, you know, participate and make representations and support this decision. Um, but, you know, to the extent that it falls on competitors to support this kind of a decision, um, that is actually getting more challenging. Yeah, no, it's interesting that that impact kind of is felt in a number of ways, some of which you might not otherwise expect. You know, that actually, I think, provides us with a good good place to to come up with a final question. And that, that has to do with, you know, you, you, you've outlined a world in which we've got multiple legal challenges, regulatory process still lying ahead. And as you, you've indicated, far fewer independent competitors that are even left in the space. And it really just beg, beg the question, you know, is this too little too late? You know, we've talked about the broad change of ownership in the market now, talked about even the challenge of contesting some of the challenges that that exist out there. So it really does beg the question, you know, can can the regulatory solutions that were once viewed as, as, a, as a key element in the attempt to try to inject more competition into the Canadian marketplace, can it does it is it is it is there much hope for it? Is there still a chance that we could see that addressing some of the ongoing concerns about the competitiveness in terms of broadband internet services in Canada? Um, the mark the competitive market, the competitive industry looks very different already today uh, from how it looked in. 2015 when a lot of these processes started it is def it is too late to save the industry the sort of robust dynamic competitive industry that existed in 2015 there were lots of smaller players um growing and uh lots of alternatives for consumers that just doesn't exist anymore and even if the CRTC builds a framework where competitors are allowed to grow, it takes time to launch a new one. It takes time to um, 
to, you know, build the networks and um, build a brand and gain enough consumers to uh, gain enough customers to make a difference. Um, but it isn't too late for the CRTC to create a framework uh, that will allow some competition to grow. You know, we are, tech savvy is here. We're fighting for uh, a competitive model, just like we always have. Uh, we, I used to talk about us as kind of a bellwether, not a bellwether, but, um, but sort of a litmus test, I guess, for a competitive model. If the CRTC is going to build a competitive model that doesn't work for tech savvy, then it doesn't work. Um, it will only allow incumbents. And that really is the, what we have seen, not through action, but through mostly the CRTC's inaction. Um, now there is an opportunity to create a model that will allow tech savvy to work and grow. And um, I think, I hope it will allow smaller competitors to grow also. It'll take time for the industry to recover. Um, and it will be challenging, but um, I don't think it is entirely too late to create a model that can sort of support the level of competition that consumers need and that this industry needs. Okay. Well, I, you know, after a decade or more of having engaging in these regulatory and legal fights and challenges that arise, I mean, you could be forgiven for being a lot more pessimistic. I'm, I'm glad to hear that there there is still some optimism around this issue that I know a lot of people are still following closely. So so thanks for, for continuing to engage and thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. It's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at lawbitespod or Michael Geist at mgeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening.